Well, I like how I texted you about that, and you were like, are you listening to the wrong album? And I was like, I sure hope not. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework? The pop culture podcast where we assign a variety of media as homework, have you do it, and then we discuss it, uh, along with specific discussion questions uh, that you could use to talk about the media in a more academic setting. I am Pete Romberg, and today I am a uh, master IKEA builder. With me, as always, is my co-host. Uh, Martha Sullivan, professor- professional horse tamer. Mm-hmm. And with us as well today is our returning original third chair co-host, Kaylee Scouten. Uh, Kaylee. Back for a special occasion. Special Yay. occasion. Uh, Kaylee, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Kaylee Scouten. I do data analysts and I just bought a new car. Yay. Well, not new, new to me, but it's still Congratulations. New. Yay. A brand new used car, in the words of uh, Bruce Springsteen. Just what kind of car? Uh, Subaru Crosstrek. Is that a sedan? Is that a hatchback? It, uh... I, I don't know cars. Okay, so it's like if you took an SUV and a car and you made a baby with it. Oh, all right. So like a more manageable SUV. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's what I want the new Outbacks to look like, but they're not what they look like. And it's bright orange. <laughs> I don't know cars. <laughs> That's not true. I know, I know really impractical cars. Like Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> right, whatever more Top like Gear if, tells you. More like if they if they drove it in the Fast and the Furious franchise. <laughs> gotcha. This would not be in the Fast and the Furious franchise. So you know submarines and tanks. Uh, so today is our one-year anniversary episode, which is why we've got Kaylee back on. And it is why our topic is team-ups. Uh, since a year ago today, uh, we had a team-up to create this podcast. However, before we get into that, it's only fair that we share with you our pop culture credentials, the things that we were most recently consuming. Uh, Martha, as a horse tamer, I have a feeling I know where your pop culture credential is coming from, uh, but why don't you go ahead and uh, we'll start with you. My life is Breath of the Wild now. There is nothing before, there is nothing after, there is only Zelda. (laughs) Uh, So you like it. I've never been invested in a Legend of Zelda game before, like, ever. Um, I kind of tooled around in Ocarina of Time, but I was bad at it, so I really liked to rent it from Blockbuster and play the one that ever, somebody had already, like, unlocked everything in. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, this game is like if Skyrim and Legend of Zelda had a baby, and that baby was more fun than either of those games. Um, <laughs> it's beautiful. It is, um, I was talking about this on Twitter a little bit this week, Um, what I really love about the game is that it doesn't feel like there's a wrong way to do anything in it. Like, the game probably has particular solutions for puzzles and things in mind, but if you don't want to do that, or if you think of a different way to do that, it rewards you for thinking of alternative solutions, Hmm. uh, rather than just saying like, no, that's not how this works. Um, so I've really been enjoying it. There, there has not yet been a place where like I had to solve a puzzle and got frustrated because I couldn't figure out the solution. Hmm. Um, there was one, one puzzle where I'm sure the way that I did it or got around it was not the way that the game intended me to, but because it has that flexibility, like I said, it doesn't matter. Um, it's, and also like there's the, the main story quest, uh, but there's just so much else going on in the world that like, yeah, I've got stuff to do and quests to finish, but also I can go foraging for mushrooms and like cook my own healing potions and I can go spend 20 minutes running around the plains looking for ponies to tame. And it just, (laughs) yeah, it's, it is so much less intimidating than I usually find open world games to be. And it's, just beautiful and refreshing, and I love all of it. Nice. I should pick it back up. So, Kayla, you played it a little? I have. The only reason I stopped is because the only reason I normally stop video games is where I'll play it, I'll love it, I'll put it down for more than two days, 
and I'll completely forget what I was doing. Yep. And then I'm just like, I get super intimidated to pick it back up because I'm just like, uh. <laughs> I'm, I'm the and same see, way. In Breath of the Wild, I honestly don't think it matters if you remember what you were doing or not. <laughs> like, you can just jump back in and be like, all right, where am I? I'm in the woods, gonna go find some mushrooms. <laughs> so between like that and Skyrim and mario game i am increasingly like hmm nintendo switch that's not that expensive i could definitely I do my that i bought a husband my hu not a husband <laughs> i bought my specifically my husband a switch for christmas um and also so i could play it and yeah he and i have both been enjoying the heck out of um breath of the wild nice all right uh kaylee how about your pop culture credential been a while since you've done this um, it has been. My uh, most recent pop culture credential is I've started rewatching the Arrested Development series because yes, I sort of like it was one of those things where it's been on my like I need to rewatch that series because it's just super relevant and it stays relevant despite the fact that it came out however many years ago. I think more than ten. Um, it first aired in 2013 so yeah almost 15 years ago jesus jesus as long well, i'm sorry did you say 2013 sorry i'm sorry 20 2003 wow I okay break. i was gonna say because 13 was only five years ago <laughs> don't you remember no. being in high school in 2013 and watching arrested development <laughs> to be fair it was on Fox from 2003 to 2006, and then Netflix from 2013 to present. So, I wasn't 100% wrong. I was just mostly wrong. <laughs> Can I tell you guys a shameful secret? Do you not I've like never Arrested? Seen it. Ah. I've never seen it. Well, I kind of, I kind of have tried over the years. I don't know. I'm, I don't like mean or awkward humor usually. So. I, I don't like The Office either, for example. Like, I, I don't like humor that is predicated on people being mean to each other. Marin also doesn't like it because she hates that everyone is a terrible person. Um, which is probably the same kind of issue that you've got as well. See, I like that everybody's a terrible person because they get their comeuppance. Like, it's like they... They have to deal with the fact that they're terrible people. And I kind of appreciate that. Like, it's like, if you didn't do that, you wouldn't have to deal with the situation. But you did, so. But on the other hand, like, rewatching it, I'm kind of like, there's a lot of bits in it where I'm just like, ooh, that's that's not really culturally friendly anymore. Mm. But also I've noticed that the other characters in that scene react similarly to how I'm feeling. But it's still kind of like cringeworthy a little bit yeah 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 yeah. i uh i i will admit that like 90 percent of my random asides and statements are just like direct quotes from arrested development like it is yep. it is a very quotable show well and honestly like i obviously i live in this <laughs> world so i'm aware of a lot of the i guess keystone jokes from it um as, as someone on Twitter, you see a lot of reaction GIFs that are Arrested Development shots. Yeah, yeah. Twitter, Twitter and Tumblr have kind of uh, substituted for my direct watching. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, well, my pop culture credential is a book, um, 1848, Year of Revolution by Mike Report. Uh, I think it's Report. Um, it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a history book about, uh, 1848, which is, uh, famously known in Europe as the Year of Revolution. Um, failed revolutions across Europe. Uh, I bought it years ago and read about a third of it, um, and then just put it down and never picked it back up again. Uh, currently, uh, my favorite history podcast, Revolutions, is going through 1848, uh, in very granular detail, so I... I've sort of been eyeing this book on the shelf, and about a week or two ago, I decided to pick it up. Um, so I've been slowly making my way through that, and it's really fascinating and interesting if you like history, um, European history, history of revolutions. It, it's 
in many ways uh, relevant to today, since this is where nationalism really sort of begins um, across Europe as like a, a movement that has an impact. Um, yeah, it, it's well written, good history book. If that's your thing, give it a shot. <laughs> and I have a feeling sorry, that it's neither have... of your things. <laughs> well, it's, it's fine. It's not something I think I would choose to read for fun. Yeah. But <laughs> um, I was just going to say, I hate how your pop culture credentials always make you look like the professional and me look like the <laughs> adolescent. <laughs> a, a couple of shows ago, my pop culture credential is random stuff I was reading on Twitter. So... <laughs> Except that that random stuff was like political opinion essays. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Politics are my sports. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's let's get into the topic at hand. Um, as I mentioned at the top, today we're talking about team ups in honor of our one year anniversary of teaming up to do this episode. Uh, we've got a uh, three great homeworks that we assigned. Two of them are like the perfect canonical texts, I would say, for this sort of topic, and mine is a total curveball. Um, but uh, we wanted to sort of get the whole breadth and width of team-ups. Um, so what we're going to be talking about is uh, what do members of the teams gain by being part of the group, uh, and what do they lose? Um, we're going to be looking at um, does familiarity with like the individual members of the team help enjoy the broader like, team-up that ends up happening. Uh, we're going to be looking at um, whether the team-ups that we're looking at have succeeded at creating something more than the sum of their parts. And finally, if we've got time, we're going to be looking at uh, if there are any examples of unsuccessful team-ups. Um, we'll obviously get a little more granular with each individual homework assignment as we get to it. Uh, Martha, yours is sort of like the canonical team up for comics. Uh, so let's start with yours. What'd you assign for us? Uh, so I picked the first collected volume of the Justice League New 52 relaunch. Uh, the volume is titled Origin. It was written by Jeff Johns with art by Jim Lee, Scott Williams, and Carlos DeAnda. Uh, so the New 52 was DC's big like cross-brand relaunch that they did in 2011 uh the idea was to take their universe and start everything over from a point that newcomers could feel comfortable jumping right in um it was so for some for some titles that meant like going back to the beginning uh for some titles that just meant starting at a more recognizable point in the character's history uh, the relaunch was met with very mixed reviews. Um, I read it. I have very positive feelings about the new 52 because it was basically what got me back into comics in like a serious way. Hmm. Um, and also it was when Gail Simone was writing Batgirl and she had one of the best runs on Batgirl, I think ever. <laughs> um, and the thing about the new 52 is that when it was good, it was great. And when it was bad, it was not. <laughs> um, is... The lows were very low. The highs were very high. And kind of in the middle, you have books like Justice League, which I think is a completely competent book. Um, the story in this one is you have your main heroes, all as established, uh, established characters, but they're not the Justice League yet. This book, uh, this volume chronicles the story of basically their first team up. Uh, in a world that is very suspicious, very afraid of superhumans. Um, Superman is still, like, people are still very afraid of him. They're still not sure, like, is he here to help or harm? Uh, one of my favorite things about this book is that every time Batman meets somebody new, they're like, I thought you were a myth. <laughs> um, or like, Batman, you're real? And he's like, yeah, I know. Um, it's like, so... what's your superpower? Uh... <laughs> Um, but it, it shows uh, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, The Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg coming together for the first time to fight uh, Darkseid. Uh, this is a book where it's very much like a lot happens so much. Um, there aren't really any quiet or downtime moments in the book. And like I said, it's totally competent. This is not my favorite incarnation of Wonder Woman. But I wanted to pick it for this episode because I think it shows a really good... It's a really good picture of 
seven incredibly disparate people having to come together, figure out how they work together, because they're all people who are used to working by themselves, um, but figure out how that they can best work together to defeat a problem that each individual person on the team would not be able to fix by themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's my that's my intro to Justice League. Um, I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, again, like you said, like, serviceable, fine, not the best comic I've read, but, like, as I was reading it, um, Jeff Johns is the person in charge of DC's uh, cinematic universe. I guess, like, the movie version of showrunning that. Um, and based... I haven't seen the Justice League film yet. Uh, seems like none of us have. But based on what I've read of it, it seems like it was using this as sort of its its um, basis. And as I was reading this, I could only think to myself... I, I wish this is what that was, and by all accounts, it's not. Um, yeah, and... this was at least this was at least fun mm-hmm. in a way that the DC movies are not right now, except for Wonder Woman, which is a whole separate yeah delightful uh, feast. Right. <laughs> um, but but this did a great job, like you said, at showing um, you know t- taking all these individual and individual list characters and forcing them to work together. But it also did a very good job at very quickly and shorthandly, uh, like using shorthand, um, establishing who all these characters are. So if this were the very first comic book you picked up and you, like, as someone who swims in the pop culture ether, you've known of Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, but that's about it, um, you can very quickly pick up on who they all are, uh what their powers are, what their personalities are like. So I, I think it does a good job not only at uh, establishing team dynamic, but very quickly establishing individual personalities um, in just a page or two. Um, I think this, because it's a first volume, it relies very heavily on those character archetypes, Pete, that you were talking about. Um, and I do know that as as this comic continues its run, it does let the characters kind of breathe as individuals, but at least in this first volume, it's like, we have to hit the ground running kind of deal. And mm-hmm. I think it does it in a really approachable, um, or not approachable, accessible way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, uh, this guy's the hothead, this guy's the, you know, the clever guy, this guy's Superman. Um, right. and, and so they're, they're the archetypes really help. And you do have that kind of initial jockeying for like, you know, we've all, we're all used to working alone. We're all used to being in charge of our own stuff. Um, how do we learn how to, uh, coordinate and work together? And the answer, I mean, the answer is usually listen to Batman, but the answer in this book is very heavily <laughs> listen to Batman. Um, the answer like, to all problems at all times is listen to Batman. Well, because he and I think I think justifiably so, he gets a lot of questions from the other characters in this book. Like, well, what do you do? Like, I'm a superpowered alien from another planet. I have a ring that manifests my will as whatever I can conceive of. What do you do? And right. Batman's like, well, I do everything. Shut up. Yeah. Like, I'm smarter than you, so I'm <laughs> like Batman. you may be more powerful. You may be more powerful than me. But when the chips are down, like Batman's the one who has the capacity to lead. Um, so yeah, I, all of which is to say, I think the book does a really good job of showing you these characters and showing you their role in what will eventually become the consistent Justice League. Mm -hmm. Kaylee, what was your take on it? Um, I enjoyed it. I thought that, I mean, this, I think was actually my first Justice League comic that I've picked up. I watched the television show that was on, I think, Netflix a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. But this was my first foray into a comic book media form of the Justice League. Um, I had a couple nitpicks about it. Um, I mostly thought the way that Cyborg was introduced was a little, a little rushed. Like, yeah. Yeah, they need to get him, they need to get him, like, active, uh, real fast. <laughs> yeah, and not just, like, he, he, this just happened to him, like, five minutes ago, guys, and he's now fighting the big bad guy, and I'm just like, oh, you need to take, you need to calm down, slow down, man, take a deep breath. <laughs> um, 
and yeah, you can you can definitely tell that this is. I mean, like clearly, but like they've got a lot of work to do. They need they really need to get their ducks in a row and not, you know, because I mean, like they pretty much just all met each other. Like I think I felt like Green Lantern and Flash had a little bit of background, but for the most part, everyone was just. I don't know who you are. What are we doing? So it was interesting to see a team up in that aspect that is so fresh. Mm-hmm. Well, that that seems like a good segue then to a team up that is no longer fresh and possibly rotting. Uh, Kaylee, you assigned us sort of the opposite side of not not quite the team up dynamic, but sort of like the 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 long game problems that can happen with team ups. Yeah, so um, the media that I assigned was Captain America Civil War, which is a 26 um, superhero film. And basically what it covers is you've got your established team of the Avengers. um, And what happens when that starts falling apart and they're, you know, in fighting begins and how they deal with it and I don't think they dealt with it in the best way but it's interesting because you see this solid formed group split up into two separate groups and then those two separate groups team building their own teams to basically fight each other yeah I I really like this as a homework topic for team ups because like you said there's it starts with an established team up uh, that falls apart, and then each side has their own individual, like, build up their own team. So there's there's a lot of build up, break down, build back up again happening throughout the course of this movie. Um, also, it's just a fun movie. Yeah, one of the things that has always bothered me, not about this movie, I think that this movie handles uh, what I'm about to talk about really well, but what bothered me about Age of Ultron the movie that kind of lays the groundwork for this one is that literally everything that happens in that movie is Tony Stark's fault. (laughs) So what I liked, uh, what I liked about picking civil war as a team up movie is because it shows what can happen when one person in the team doesn't do what they're there to do. Like doesn't fulfill the role that the team has like come to rely on them to fulfill. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've always resented the fact that everyone in Civil War outside of the Avengers blames them as a group for the destruction that they're like trying to place the controls on them to prevent in the future. Because it's like it's either it's like aliens are invading, so I don't know that that can necessarily be the Avengers' fault, <laughs> right? Right, or it's Tony's fault. <laughs> like it's not. <laughs> Well, and so um, who who do you mean in this in the sense of like the person not doing what the group is expecting them to do? Is that sort of like Cap not fulfilling that role? No, or... it's it's sorry, I'm I'm cheating a little bit because I'm going back to Age of Ultron. Oh god, uh, for my to make my point, but like Age of Ultron has Tony working outside of the group doing things that he's not sharing. Um, yeah, that then end in. Ultron, like, destroying an entire country, which is the the basis of the fallout they're experiencing in Civil War. Right. So, like, you have, you have a part of the team, um, you have a cog in this machine that in, you know, the first Avengers we saw worked incredibly well together. Um, and then in Age of Ultron, you see that one of the cogs is kind of wobbling, and then in Civil War is the the sort of end result of that cog falling out of place and Tony saying, well, we need to be controlled. And then the whole disagreement starting from there. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one thing I, I really liked about this that I felt was similar to um, Justice League is the opening did a fantastic job at sort of introducing new, new-ish characters and introducing their team dynamic. Um, it's... It's a little too long, but the whole, was it, crossbones or whatever fight in, like, South Africa or wherever um, does a good job at sort of quickly introducing everyone and their powers to the audience uh, and introducing that they're, 
they work well as a team, um, which is, like, really nice, you know, talking about archetypes, like, shorthand for, like, functional team at the beginning, and then eventually it falls apart. It was also a very comic booky maneuver in that the goal of any individual comic issue is ideally to have that be accessible to a new reader. Yeah. So I feel yeah. like that the intro scene in Civil War also functions if you did not see Age of Ultron, because you could just watch that scene and go, oh, I get why the world governments don't want these people just running around willy-nilly. Right. They, they blew um, up a country in the last movie, and they blew up a city in this movie at the very beginning. So either way, yeah. there's issues. I was kind of amazed at how much this movie referenced Age of Ultron. And, like, in thinking back to it and watching it again, I was like, I've only seen Age of Ultron once. Maybe I should go back and rewatch it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> no, I don't want to. I'm a Marvel stan. I will, you know, go to bat for these movies so hard. Age of Ultron is not a good movie. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about the big scene where after we have the Avengers split and each... And, you know, Cap and Tony go and reenact Marvel Ultimate Alliance and form their own, uh, their own little, like, Their, their own teams with Avengers Blackjack and Hookers? Clubs. <laughs> um, you're talking about the, uh, the airport fight? The airport scene, yeah. Yes, the, the entire reason for this movie to exist. Pretty much, because when you can't get Wolverine, you can at least, uh, you can at least pull everyone else out in your everyone else in your arsenal out for a for a cinematic experience. I I mean I, once again this is I it's so much fun. It's the reason for this movie to exist. It's the comic book splash panel that and and you know like this I think was said by reviewers in a negative way. I say it in a positive way. It's when you were a kid and you took all the action figures out and just had them go like rah smash 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 against yep. each other. Um, but with millions and millions of dollars behind it. <laughs> so and yeah, yeah. And speaking yes. of Rusted Development, the Bluth family stair car makes yes! a cameo <laughs> appearance in that fight. I saw that. I was like, hey, Andrew, look. <laughs> It is also an example of something that DC has never managed to do very well in any of their movies, which is that it's both fun yes. and completely visually clear. Mm -hmm. Like, there are no moments of this fight where I didn't know what was going on. All of the characters get to showcase their abilities in a really interesting and creative way. Um, I particularly enjoy when Ant-Man gets giant and then <laughs> Spider-Man treats him like an AT-AT from uh, The Empire Strikes Back. And I think he specifically calls it out as such, yeah. right? He does while he's trolling Tony for being old. It's a very <laughs> yeah. good moment. <laughs> well, and speaking of that, like, one thing that this does so well is that you you care about both sides. Like, it's super cool to see Spider-Man AT-AT uh, Ant-Man, but you also want ant-man to succeed you want spider-man to succeed it's exactly it's fraught in that way that you you it's not good guys versus bad guys so there's a lot more um you know behind it yeah well like, which is one oh sorry sorry i've seen this movie many times and i still don't know whose side i'm on like i'm just like you both have good points captain america yeah i'm all cap <laughs> um look well, one of the th <laughs> So I also think that this movie deserves credit for, um, again, something that the DC movies have not really managed to do. And that's we legitimately care about every single person in this fight. Mm -hmm. Like we even if I, I think and obviously I can't really speak to this because I have seen all of the Captain American Avengers movies. But I do <laughs> think that if you hadn't, if you'd only seen this movie by this point in the film, I think you would honestly still be invested in everyone that is fighting. Like this is the first time we see Tom Holland as Spider-Man, and I would I cared deeply yeah. about him in a way that was like weird and confusing for me because I haven't cared about anyone playing Spider-Man in a really long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and, and part I, of that think... is the strength of the actor and the writing too. Oh sure, but I think that's an that's an important point when you're talking about a team is that you you should care about the team itself. But to care about the team, you have to care about the members of the team also. Mm-hmm. Especially in something like this, where where the teams can be a little fluid, and here especially when it's it's teams of heroes fighting each other, um, mm -hmm. th that is really crucial that you care about them. 
that you care about, uh, you know, Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye rather than simply caring about the Avengers as an idea. Right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, any last thoughts yes. on this before we go on to mine? Um, kind of, but I, I want to wait until we're talking about everything in a larger context. So cool. I, d I don't have anything more about just Civil War. Cool. Uh, then we'll go on to my homework, which is a massive curveball. Uh, I'm glad that everyone else assigned comic book stuff, um, because I think that comic books are like the quintessential team-up sort of media. Um and I was really struggling to come up with something other than that. So I have a musical team-up uh, in the form of a supergroup. Um, supergroups are things uh, that have been existing since, like, the 60s. Uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young was a supergroup. Uh, the Traveling Wilburys was, is a supergroup. Um, it's a band that's composed of members of other popular bands um, doing something new and different. So... Uh, my absolute favorite supergroup and one of my favorite bands is the New Pornographers, a Canadian power pop uh, indie rock supergroup that's been around since the early mid-aughts. Um, I assigned their album Together, uh, came out in 2010, uh, and they are composed of sort of the, their trifecta three main members are AC Newman, whom I don't know that well, so I did not assign his music, uh, Nico Case, and Dan Behar. Um, I assigned the Nico Case album Middle Cyclone, which came out in 2009, and uh, Dan Behar's uh, solo group is called Destroyer. I assigned the Destroyer album Kaput, which came out in 2011. Um, these are not necessarily... It, like, together isn't my favorite new pornographers album, but I wanted to assign three albums that all came out in the same, roughly the same um, time frame, so that we'd be listening to similar enough or close enough chronologically music that you could hear, you know, if someone brought an influence in from this or, or that, um, you know, music being the way it is, it'd be weird to assign one album from 2003 uh, and then a, a solo album from 2017. There's just so much distance there. Um, so I, I sort of suggested you listen to uh, the new Pornographer's album first, then listen to the solo stuff, and then maybe give the uh, go back to the new Pornographer's to see if you picked up anything from their solo stuff, or maybe not. Um, so this was sort of a big, sprawling mess of a homework assignment. Lots of music. What'd you guys think? Um, so I had never listened to any of these musicians before. Um, and Pete, I know you and I have talked about that where you were pretty sure that if I'd heard the new pornographers, I would be able to say, oh, yeah, I've totally heard that. I, this was not familiar to me at all. <laughs> um, but the point is, I'm severely upset with myself for not having listened to particularly Nico Case before because she is so thoroughly my jam. <laughs> I thought that, that would be I'm, the case. Uh, a little upset that I've been missing out. Um, she has a very Rilo Kylie type sound that I approved of a lot. I don't know. I, I accidentally listened to all of, I listened to everything in the, your recommended listening order. So I listened to the new pornographer's album first. Uh, and then I listened to, um, middle cyclone and then Kaput. Kaput was the hardest for me to find, which is why I ended up listening to it last. Hmm. Um, Dang. I thought it was interesting, and Pete, you know more about music than I do, so feel free to disagree with me if there was something that I just wasn't hearing. But the, the New Pornographer's album sounded more familiar, like in terms of what kinds of things they're doing. Um, it sounded more reminiscent of things that I had heard before, and the two solo projects sounded more experimental, um, a little bit more... Uh, unique. Yes, I'd, I'd say that's yes. that's very true. New Pornographers, like, as power pop, indie rock, uh, some of their more recent albums sound a little bit ABBA-y in a good way. Um, so it's, it's stuff that you've definitely heard on the radio or whatever. Um, well, and I guess I should preface this by saying I enjoyed almost everything that I heard, so I don't mean any of this in, like, a bad way or a negative way. Right. Um, just more as a, like... Oh, I can I can think of more stuff I've listened to that this reminds me of than the the two solo projects. Um, 
which is sort of an interest. Well, but I'll save I'll save that for for later. <laughs> cool. <laughs> but no, I really enjoyed the new pornographers album. I really enjoyed the Nico Case album. The Kaput album was I didn't dislike it. It just wasn't it wasn't as firmly in my wheelhouse as the other two. I agree completely with Martha. I think on this one. Cool. That is also exactly what I thought would be the the reviews of the three albums from you guys. I'm <laughs> upset that I am this predictable. <laughs> well, like, d- Destroyer... Had... Yeah, go ahead, Kaylee. I had some prior, like, experience with ne- with Nico. Okay, sorry, I keep trying to pronounce it the other way around. Neko? Yeah. Neko, it's... Oh. Four years um. of high school Japanese that I have to, like, <laughs> Japanese habits that I have to circumvent. Yeah, same with me. I'm just like, nope, it's it's not that... Um, and then I had a little bit of familiarity with the new pornographers, and it's really interesting to see, like, N- Nico Case's kind of, like, raw, uncut um, musical expertise, and then uh, the new pornographers more polished, like, you can tell everything is very, like, not intentional, but, I mean, I guess kind of intentional, like, it's very, like, well thought out. Not that, you know, Nico Case or Destroyer isn't, it just felt very together, um, Pun intended. Huh? Yeah. (laughs) Pun intended, since the album is called Together. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then Destroyer was kind of like, I don't know if I like the singer's method of delivery. I felt like it was very wispy and kind of unsure and unlike solid of, you know, this is what I'm trying to say. I felt like at times he was trying to cram too many things into a too short period of time. Yes. The I will say the Destroyer album surprised me the most based on the New Pornographers album. Like the the New Pornographers album is so joyful. And then I found the the Kaput album to be much more kind of serious and melancholy. And it was just, it was really interesting to think of that artist being like his contributions on the New Pornographers uh, being that, far removed in terms of mood and tone from his uh, solo work. Mm-hmm. Speaking of what Kaylee was saying, though, I, I I mean, I've listened to them all a lot. Um, after hearing a lot of Destroyer and just like Dan Behar's cadence and delivery, you can very quickly identify his songs on new pornographer albums because it's like, oh, it's the one where the dude is trying to say too many words in too tight a <laughs> too, too tight a frame. And he's got that very unique like sort of sound to his voice. Yeah. Well cool. That seems like a good good wrap-up review. I'm glad you guys all liked them and got something out of it. And I'm also glad that uh I was able to precisely predict uh the responses to it. <laughs> um So one of the things that I wanted to talk about in light of our conversation on the new pornographers is one of the things that I thought was interesting was that clearly when you have super groups for musical purposes, um, the members have to, their, their style has to conform to whatever sound like whatever the goal is for the bigger group like you can Mm -hmm. um the individual projects that we just talked about have a very unique individual sound um that has to then be blended into something new and potentially a little bit less individualistic but like again i don't mean that in a bad way i just mean that when you have uh two musicians with such strong uh individual musical personalities to have them come together in a group i do think they have to lose a little bit of that individuality just so that they mesh together well Mm -hmm. yes um which is also i think an interesting idea when you apply it to the real person superhero teams that we looked at um Mm -hmm. this is kind of what i was getting at with the question Uh, What do the team members of these teams gain or lose by being part of the group? Because when you're part of a group, it's not just how do I as an individual fit into this group, but how do I, like it becomes a puzzle rather than an individual piece. Right. So things have to change. Certain things have to be scaled back. Like Batman and Superman are both leaders, well, and Wonder Woman, not so much in this book, but in other contexts, all three of them are very much leaders in their own right. But when you have a team... They can't all be leaders. They can't all be a leader. 
Uh, so I was interested in what you guys thought about what the the team members that we see in all of these, what they're gaining and losing by being part of a something that is larger than themselves. Well, a little tangential to that, Civil War is a great example of when someone who's part of a team realizes that what they're losing is bigger than what they're gaining from it uh, and sort of has to go their own separate way from it, uh, which is sort mm -hmm. of a, a dynamic that anyone in a team sort of has to be thinking about and juggling with this. Like, what am I getting out of the team? What am I giving up by being part of it? Is is that a worthwhile trade-off? Right. I think we tend to think of team-ups or collaborations or, you know... Um, yeah, teamwork, team ups or collaborative efforts as being just in general a good thing. Um, and I like that Civil War asks the question of what if being part of this team is not the best thing, not just for me, but for the people that we're trying to benefit. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that uh, Justice League was definitely one where it's all sort of positive um, but that's mostly because they're fighting Darkseid, and they've literally just met, you know, like, right then and there, so it's an easy sort of decision to make. Um, uh, obviously, they, they all learn a lot about working together, um, so that sort of comes, comes through as a very much, you know, positive development. They all can rely on each other, and they don't have to give up a lot partly because they know that they're all going to, like, they're a team that comes together when they need to and then goes away when they don't need to be there, um, which is, book, is a helpful dynamic. True. And I think that in this book we do see that the, the biggest thing that a lot of these Justice League members have to lose is their ego. Yeah. Like, yeah. They have to they have to swallow their pride and admit to the fact, like, in this particular situation my method may not be the best and what i have to do now is listen to somebody with more knowledge on this particular situation looking at you green lantern yes no exactly <laughs> <laughs> i kind of love that the flash is the person who's like the most willing to i guess adapt to being part of a group since his power set i think m most let, or best lends itself to being an individual fighter. And he seems to be the one that's the most on board with, well, or, or maybe it's just that he's the one most on board with telling Green Lantern to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always think of Flash as a really great supporting character because, like, he can be a good one-on-one -on -one fighter, but he's also good at the, like, get all the civilians to safety, um, distract yeah. the dude, that sort of thing. So he's, he's I, I think he's sort of well-built to a team because he's able to do sort of the important uh, side work that's that's not necessarily the splashiest, but is uh, crucial. Yeah, and I also feel like he's very, um, he's there for the greater good. He's not just there for himself. Yeah. Yeah, he's not repping, like, the, the Green Lantern Corps or uh, he didn't learn to fight as part of a... Um, I don't, yeah, just, <laughs> Amazon that, murder just cult. To say, yeah, just just <laughs> which is to say that he doesn't have anyone else that he's repping, so he doesn't have like the pride or honor of anything else that he feels like he's standing for. Like he's not a king, he's not a ruler, he's not part of a bigger team. He's just there to save people. Right. As as Kaylee said, the greater good. Right. Yeah. Pete, I'm kind of interested to know what you think musically about the... Um, I, I'd, I'd like to hear from you about this question in terms of the music you assigned. Um, and I guess also ten, uh, adjacent to that, like... Well, no, I guess you kind of already answered that one. Um, well, so, so this is actually a little bit interesting because... Um, let's see if this is right. Uh... So the most recent New Pornographers album doesn't have a song written, um, or, or e even like with Dan Behar. Um, he's still in the group, but sort of didn't do anything on the most recent album because um, he was working on his own album. 
uh, at the same time. We'll see if he ends up coming back or not. Um, so that's sort of a, a perfect case of, like, what do you gain, what do you lose? Um, and as a musician, one thing you lose is the time um, that you're putting into the supergroup is time that you're not putting into your own solo stuff. Um, mm. Dependingly, it could also be maybe the fame or the popularity. Um, you know, I, uh, the New Pornographers, I think, is the most famous of the individual... Compo- like, it is more popular than destroyer or then nico k solo or then ac newman solo um which can be good it can be a good way to springboard someone into getting into the solo stuff you know um i i discovered both destroyer and nico case through the new pornographers um but it also means that you might get subsumed into your into the the super group and sort of lose that individual identity um which is funny yeah sorry which is funny because I had no idea that Nico Case and the New Pornographers had any connection whatsoever until this homework assignment. Oh, huh. Like, you, you knew like, them both individually? Yes. Huh. Oh, I guess what I just said might not always be true. <laughs> well, I can, I can see... I can see more how Nico Case and the New Pornographers are related. Like, if I had to pick one of these albums that felt the least connected to the other two, I think it would be... Um, the Kaput album. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see where Kaylee, if you as either a Nico Case or a New Pornographers fan, then found the other one just because musically they feel a little bit more related. They, they might come up on the same Spotify playlist. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> um, but that, that question of, you know, what does your individual brand gain or lose by being part of a group is really interesting. Um, from the like musical artist point of view, uh, it's also I think touched on in the Justice League comic when they're all like, "We have other stuff to be doing." <laughs> right, right. Central um, City isn't going to save itself. Gotham isn't going to save itself. Yeah. So yeah, again, this like being part of a team. Like typically, you want to believe that people are stronger in teams and that better work gets done collaboratively. But at the end of the day, you are always sacrificing your individual voice. Uh, for the group of the team, or for the good of the team, don't need to be that repetitive, <laughs> um, um, which is definitely something to consider. Yeah. Um, I also think it's interesting, going back to that point, is that it's interesting to see the dynamics between, you've got the Justice League, where they're very much, they do their own thing when they're not, you know, saving the world from these crises, or the universe, I guess. But then you've also got the Avengers, and for some reason, I feel like they have more of a central base location where they hang out there, and they do their thing there, but they don't have their individual towns that they go back in, with the exception of, like, Thor, where he goes back to his home world and does his thing. But you've, you've got pretty much, like, a a base of operations, whereas right. I think the Justice League is more like, eh, we'll come and go. Like, Scarlet Witch and Vision just live at Avengers headquarters and do Avengers things. Exactly. I think that is definitely true in the movies, in the comics, when you have to maintain solo titles in di- in addition to um, the group titles. Like Iron Man and Captain America and Thor all have their own individual comic books where they are doing their own thing. It's just not as important in the movies for that to be true. Uh, so I, I think that you're right. I think that in this... In the films, like, Captain America doesn't really do anything except be Captain America for the Avengers. Like, he, it's not like he has a day job. Yeah. Um, I mean, when he's not Captain america for the Avengers, he's Captain america for S.H.I.E.L.D. But I, I think we can transfer over to what might be our last question, which is, does familiarity help or hinder? Um, sure. If you're cool with that being the last question. Yeah, the the bad team ups we've already kind of talked about. Right. So. Right. And I might do a I might do an additional blog post about like here are some attempts where characters tried to team up and it just failed. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, all right. Um, well, let's let's segue then into our final question, which is: uh, Does familiarity with the individual members of the team uh, help? our enjoyment does that lack of familiarity hinder our enjoyment uh what are you guys thinking 
Yeah, I was thinking um, this this question was kind of inspired for me or my answer to this question was kind of inspired by the um, I made a comment earlier when I was talking about the Justice League book where this is not my favorite incarnation of Wonder Woman. Uh, when you have characters like, you know, particularly like the superheroes, but I think that this could apply to the the musical groups as well, where there are very particular things about those members that you like and enjoy and like that's why you keep going back to the the character having them in a team setting could be like this isn't like this this is not the the wonder woman that i enjoy reading this is not the batman that i enjoy um this is not what i like about iron man um so i think that there are there are cases in which being overly familiar or overly affectionate with the characters could hinder your enjoyment of the story that is being told Mm-hmm. with that team up but do you do you think that that's just true of um especially in a comics medium anytime a writer whom maybe you're not a fan of grabs a, a hold of a character that you do like you're always going to sort of run into that problem like if jess johns Absolutely. was writing a solo wonder woman it would probably also still not be your favorite well Yes and no. I think when you have a team book, it's like you you have to deal with the writer, but you're also having to deal with the fact that because it's a team book, the character may have to, like, they may have to emphasize certain aspects of the character that are not my favorite because mm. that's how she is functioning in this team story. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like, as so you said, like, Wonder Woman is herself a leader, but in this book she isn't because that's not the role she's playing in the team. Because in this story, Batman is the leader. He's the one that puts them all together. Yeah. Right, right. Well, and I could just, I could see that being true where you're like, these are the particular things that I like about Nico Case that are not showcased in this new pornographer's album. Having come at it from the other way around, like being not familiar with the individual stuff and then getting into them through the album, like through the, the super group, that seems a lot probably safer might be the word where like it's like oh i like i like her voice and i know that because i've heard her sing on the new pornographers and then you go to her solo stuff and she's still singing so you still like her voice um that's a little bit like i said safer than maybe going the other way around in some cases um kaylee thoughts do do you have any i guess examples or counter examples of knowing like how knowing a particular team member might Oh, um, yes. I'm generally in favor of having that background knowledge of characters a bit more going into big team group dynamics, um, unless the characters are not true to themselves in those group dynamics. So um, I'm going to jump to an adventure that wasn't actually in Civil War. But if you look at Thor, in the first two movies, he's very much one way. And in the third movie, he's very, very different. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that threw me off a lot. And so if you do that, where like the character shifts to be somebody else and not the person that you've kind of gotten to know, then it kind of, um, it feels like false. And like what Martha said about Tony Stark being, this isn't what I like about Tony Stark. Well, it's like, that's true. But is he intentionally being different to fit this role in this group? than what he normally is as Tony Stark. Well, that, that's an interesting sidebar with, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because I think that Tony Stark, as portrayed by Robert Downey Jr. in the MCU, has been very consistent, and his him in Civil War feels like a good culmination of like where that character has been going. Whereas True. Tony Stark in the comics might be wildly different, so I could... I, I mean, I don't really read enough Marvel comics to know, but I could envision a a fan of the comics coming in and saying, like, this isn't my Tony Stark, whereas an MCU fan who doesn't read comics like myself uh, would come in and be like, yep, this totally checks out. I'm on board. Yep. And you can see I'm over on. the course of the whole MCU universe of movies that you can, like, he's very cocky and, you know, sure of himself in the first movie, and then you get to, like, Civil War, and you can see that that, like psychosis is starting to take effect and he just you want to get the guy into therapy because he's got a lot of issues he needs to work out i want to go see that growth going on it's not just like oh you know he's the cocky guy here and then now he's like falling apart Mm -hmm. i want to go back to thor real fast because i had the same 
I had the same thought as you, Kaylee, but I think I had a more positive reaction to it. The reason that I liked Thor more in Thor Ragnarok than in the other two Thor movies is because I think that this is the Thor that we get when we watch him in the team-up movies. Like, I think Thor... I think Thor has so far been much more enjoyable in the Avengers. He was, I thought he was the best part of age of Ultron. And then in Thor Ragnarok, we get that characterization of him, which is a little cheekier, a little more self-deprecating. Well, he's having fun being a God of thunder, which is what I enjoyed so much about his characterization in Thor Ragnarok. So like, yeah, I totally agree with you. This is not the same Thor that we've seen in the other two solo Thor movies, but I do think it's the same Thor that we have seen in the Avengers movies, and I think that Thor is more fun. Yeah. How about, do we think there's been any case in in these three homeworks where, this might be impossible because we all know these characters fairly well, but um, where lack of knowledge hindered our enjoyment. Um, So, like, if you were coming in blind to Civil War... um, do you think, think that would have an impact? I think the biggest the biggest example that stood out for me was Cyborg in the Justice League book because I'm not that familiar with him. Mm-hmm. And as Kaylee said, his introduction is the one that's very rushed and kind of like, well, we have to get this guy into the team environment ASAP. Um, so I think that for somebody like me who doesn't have a huge background with his character, it was a little bit like, wait, stop, what's this guy's deal? Yeah. His... Also, he is less, he is much less archetypal um, than the other characters. Like, I think he needs a little bit more explanation just so you know kind of who he is and what he's about. Right. And this is not the book we get that in. I think we get it later on. Um, it just doesn't happen here. His introduction in this is literally the only thing I know about Cyborg. Like, <laughs> if you had asked me what's Cyborg's deal before I read this, I would have said, hey, he was a football star who got injured and now is a Cyborg man. And that's exactly what happened in this book. So I learned, like, nothing. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I agree. But on the flip side, he also, he is brand new as well in this. So I feel like it's a little bit, his is the character where you can sort of cheat and say, yeah, we know nothing about him. And you don't learn a lot because this is where he's being formed as a character. So, like, even he doesn't know a lot about him yet. Whereas, like, someone like Aquaman might be a little... If you, like, somehow knew nothing about what an Aquaman is, um, that might be a little bit harder on this one. I, I kind of felt like Aquaman's intro spoke for itself. I, like... Yeah, he did make sharks this, attack a dude. Have this giant shark. <laughs> <laughs> After, when I... At the first time I had read this book, I had already played a lot of Injustice. So seeing that scene, it was like, that's Aquaman's special move! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. And that's all the time we've got for this week. Um, Kaylee, thank you much. Thank you so much for joining us. Ooh, very welcome. I had fun. Yeah. Pete, where can people get a hold of us if they want to get in touch with us? Um, yeah, so uh, you can find the podcast at our website, homeworkpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at DYDYHpodcast. Email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Check us out on Facebook at uh, Did You Do Your Homework? And obviously you're listening to this podcast, so you know where to find us online to listen to us. But go ahead and rate and review us wherever you're listening. Um, just helps us out, helps spread the word of the podcast. Tell your friends, uh, amongst other homeworks for this week, is tell one person about this podcast and get them to listen. Uh, <laughs> spread the word. <laughs> yep. Um, Martha, where can people find you personally on uh, the internet? People can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Magical Martha. Cool. Kaylee, how about you? Uh, people can find me on Instagram at Tricky Lemon. And people can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O 3000. Martha. Uh, yes. What are we talking about next week? Next week, we are going to be joined by a friend of the show and fellow, uh, fellow podcaster, Josh Brown, to talk about formative media. Uh, these are the stories that shaped us as uh, culture consumers, uh, things from our youth that have kind of stuck with us, shaped our tastes, 
uh, that we have very strong emotional or nostalgic connections to. Uh, for the homework, I am assigning you all Princess Mononoke, specifically the English dub, and I'm not going to apologize for uh, specifying the English version of this movie. The voice acting is top-notch, and you can fight me if you disagree. Isn't uh, Ian McGregor one of the uh, voice actors? Jillian uh, that... Anderson is, Claire Danes. Um, I don't think Ewan McGregor is in it. He might be another um, Miyazaki English Probably. The, Mia- the, the Studio Ghibli movies get very strong voice casts. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Josh Brown is assigning everybody Reading Rainbow episodes. I found a YouTube channel that you can watch these in their entirety. I will put that on the blog post so people know where to go. Uh, specifically, he would like you to watch If You Give a Mouse a Cookie and then two more episodes of your choosing. And they're a hmm. half an hour each, so that should be no problem. Cool. Uh, I'm assigning sort of as a stand-in for all fantasy media um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Um, you've probably read it, so here's a chance to read it again. We'll all see <laughs> if it holds up. Thanks a lot for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Class dismissed. <laughs>